Turning tonight to Galatians chapter 5 in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 5. You want to just read verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Our Father, we ask you to bless our study of your word together tonight. You might speak to each heart. We pray that there would be a valuing in our hearts for every meeting that we have like this to come to would be something that we look forward to, not something that we come out of a sense of duty, but indeed out of a sense of urgency for the hours late. We pray that you would help us tonight as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening, we want to come back to our studies here in the book of Galatians. In our recent messages, and I I had to look back, uh, the last one was uh, December the 10th, so it's been almost two months ago. And what we did in those, that group of messages, we looked at the connection between Galatians 5.1 and the wording here concerning standing in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and not being entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And we looked at the connection between this first verse and John 8, 31 and 32, where the Lord Jesus said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we spent a number of messages thinking uh, about how this nation has not continued in the Word of God, how this nation has not continued in the King James Bible. And the result is that we no longer know the truth, and we're losing our freedom. We're becoming entangled again with the yoke of bondage that God delivered this nation from nearly 248 years ago. But tonight we want to come back to this verse and we want to think about the personal message that Paul is giving here not just to these Galatian Christians that's who he wrote the letter to they were in need of these admonitions but so were we and so we want to think about the personal message to each one of us tonight particularly to those who are saved. And in this first verse, Paul summarizes the book of Galatians. And he does it in just two words. Liberty or bondage. Liberty or bondage. That's the whole um, thrust of this letter to these Galatian Christians. Are you going to stand in the liberty that you have been brought into through the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Are you going to live in bondage? Are you going back into that yoke of bondage? And this first verse is the summation. It's the conclusion that is really uh, based on the preceding 11 verses of chapter 4 where Paul gives these people and he gives us a real-life example of liberty and bondage in the Christian life. And he gives us that real-life example from the life of Abraham. Look at chapter 4 and verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. The Spirit of God, because that's who's speaking here through the apostle, presents to us here a series of contrasts. In verse 22, he contrasts two sons. And the way that he contrasts them is by contrasting their mothers. One by a bondwoman, the other by free. In verse 23, he contrasts the son of the bondwoman as being born after the flesh with the son of the free woman who is born by promise. And then he says in verse 34, 24, these things are an allegory. An allegory is a story with two meanings. There's the literal meaning. There's the historic meaning. Um, get that by reading the account. And then there's the symbolic meaning where the Lord uses historical happenings. He uses historical people to illustrate and to teach spiritual truth. So Paul is telling us that there is spiritual truth illustrated as we look at the account of Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael, and Abraham, and Sarah, and Isaac. And the spiritual truth relates to liberty and bondage. The spiritual truth relates to the flesh and the promise. The spiritual truth relates to these two covenants. Now, I'd like for you to turn back to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, because this is where we find the allegory that Paul is writing about, or at least this is Genesis chapter 16 is, is where it begins. And what we find in Genesis chapter 16, we find the bondwoman, Hagar, and we find the free woman, Sarah. The son that was born after the flesh was Ishmael. The son that was born by promise was Isaac. We've talked about many times over the years. We've talked about how God had promised Abraham a son. And the vessel in which that son would be conceived and the vessel through which that son would be born was Abraham's wife, Sarah. That was God's promise. This 16th chapter of Genesis is, is one 
that can't be visited too often because it's all about the flesh. It's all about us, if you will. It's all about the plans and the schemes and the works of the flesh in opposition to the promise and the working and the will of God. God promised to give Abram and Sarah life. And what we see them doing is trying to have the life that God promised through their own plan, through their own works. And that's why this chapter is in the book. Because the Lord wants us to see ourselves here. He wants us to see what we are by nature. God has promised us life. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Eternal life is found in one place and one place only. It's found in one person and one person only. And that person is God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does man do? Instead of accepting the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, pictured here by Isaac, instead of accepting the promise of life of God's son, man goes about to create and to figure out a way to keep his own life through the works of the flesh, pictured here by Ishmael. And so we have the flesh and the promise. And then we have the two covenants pictured in these two women, Hagar and Sarah. The Hagar covenant, Paul tells us in Galatians 4.24, gendereth to bondage. In other words, it brings forth bondage. The Hagar covenant is the one from Mount Sinai. The Hagar covenant is the works of the law. And it's based on man and on man's ability to do and not do. It's based on man's ability to keep the law. All the law. Not most of it. Not 90% of it. All of it. All the statutes and the judgments and the commandments. All 3,763 of them, as Pastor Kelly has said. This is the Hagar covenant. And it it brings forth bondage because by the deeds of the law... There shall no flesh be justified in his sight. The Hagar covenant brings forth bondage because whosoever should keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. The Hagar covenant brings forth bondage because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It brings forth bondage because there's none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. This is the Hagar covenant. And in contrast to it, we have the Sarah covenant. The Sarah covenant reveals God as the God of promise. And the promise of God has nothing to do with man. It has nothing to do with the works of man. It's not dependent upon man 
in any way. It's dependent upon God and God alone. He is the one who will fulfill it. In the Sarah covenant, it's not man that's working. It's God that is working. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And when God works, what comes forth is freedom. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. When God works, what comes forth is liberty. We read that in our verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. See, there's a connection between Genesis 16 and the book of Galatians. God does not need the works of the flesh to bring to pass his promises. He's going to bring them to pass in his time. Abraham and Sarah had to learn that lesson the hard way. This is where they failed. They tried to add something to the promise of God. They tried to add their own works to the promise of God. Their plan. This is what the Galatians were doing. They were adding the works of the law to what Christ had accomplished by his death on the cross. That's why Paul is bringing them back here. Paul tells them in chapter 3 and verse 1 that Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among them. The message of the cross is what Paul preached to the Galatians. The message that the Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. He said that in chapter 1 and verse 4. He gave them the message that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He said that in chapter 2 and verse 16. Salvation is not Christ plus the law. It's not Christ plus, plus good works or Christ plus me doing something or you doing something. Salvation is Christ, period. Christ plus nothing. It's Christ and Christ alone. And the moment that any man says that you have to do this or you have to keep that in order to be saved, whoever that person is, they've perverted the gospel of Christ. Paul says twice in the very beginning of the book of Galatians, he says in verse, one, uh, verse 8 of chapter 1 and verse 9 of chapter 1, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that you have received, let him be accursed. If salvation depends on our being this, if it depends on our doing some list of things, then we have no hope. But thanks be to God, as the hymn writer has written, my faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. 
I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. These two covenants, the Hagar covenant and the Sarah covenant, are completely exclusive. They can't be mixed. It can't be half Hagar and half Sarah. It's one or the other. If you're living under the Hagar covenant, then you're depending on your own works. And what that will bring forth in your life is bondage. Bondage. Ultimately, if you continue to live trusting in your own works, ultimately it will bring the bondage of the judgment of God for all eternity. If you're living under the Sarah covenant, then what you're depending on is the finished work of Christ. His finished work on your behalf on the cross. That brings forth liberty. But there's something else we need to see concerning these two children born of these two women. Because the story doesn't end in chapter 16. It continues in chapter 21. So I'd like for you to turn over to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21 and... Let's read at verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now look at verse 8. And the child, that's Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Here in this chapter we have the birth of the promised son. And his birth brings a great change to Abraham's house. Isaac's birth brings conflict into this house. In fact, the picture here is is really a very instructive one. Isaac's birth had the same effect in the house of Abraham that the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ has in the heart of a sinner. When we trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior, he's born in our hearts. And what we see here is that Ishmael is not changed by the birth of Isaac. That's so important to see in this allegory. Ishmael is the son of the bondwoman. He was born after the flesh. And that's what he pictures to us in this allegory. Ishmael is a picture of the flesh. He's a picture of this old nature that we're born with. And just as Ishmael was not changed by the birth of Isaac, neither is our old nature changed 
by salvation, by the birth of the Lord Jesus in our hearts. Have you discovered that yet? How long did it take you to discover that after you were saved? Not very long, did it? That we still have this old nature. Salvation is not the change of our old life. It's the introduction of a new life, the life of Christ, introduced in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and made possible by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross of Calvary. The moment that we humble our heart and we turn in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus, and we ask him to be our Savior, he gives us his life. In that moment of time, we're born of God, and as Paul says in Galatians 4.31, we are children then of the free woman. And that's when the war begins. We saw that war demonstrated a couple of weeks ago. In, in, uh, as we were studying in Genesis chapter 49, and we came to uh, Jacob's sons, Asher and Naphtali. We saw this war in the name Naphtali. We talked about him in Genesis chapter 49. Naphtali was Jacob's second son that was born to him by Bila for Rachel. And when he was born, Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed And she called his name Naphtali. And that's what his name means. It means wrestling. But in that name, Naphtali, is also the idea of prevailing in wrestling. And so I believe to to understand, to really appreciate the full meaning of the name Naphtali, we have to look at it in terms of wrestling and prevailing. Somebody's always going to prevail in a wrestling match. That name, that name, Naphtali, is a description of the Christian life. The Christian life is a wrestling match. That's how Paul described it in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17 where he said, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. That to me, it sounds like a wrestling match between the spirit and the flesh. And the issue, the issue in the life of the child of God, every moment of every day is who's going to prevail. Who's going to prevail? Begins, the war begins, the battle begins, the wrestling match begins with the birth of our Isaac the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. And from that moment, from that very moment, the issue is going to be who is going to prevail, the flesh or the spirit. But not only does the birth of Isaac not change Ishmael, it brings out his true character. Now there's a contrast in the life. You know, it's one of the When people talk about questioning or doubting their salvation, one of the things that that I always try to point them to is the battle that's taking place in their life. Before they were saved, what they have to doubt? 
They had nothing to doubt. Before they were saved, what kind of battle was going on in their life? What kind of wrestling match was going on? None. There was none. And so the the birth of Ishmael, or rather the the birth of Isaac, did not change Ishmael any more than the birth of the Lord Jesus in our hearts changes the old nature. It just brings out the true character. That's what we see in verse 9 here. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking, persecuting. That didn't happen before Isaac came along. It didn't happen until the promised son was born. That's why there's this conflict. That's why there is war in Abraham's house. That's why it's the same war, it's the same conflict that we see in those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. There will never be agreement between Ishmael and Isaac. There will never be agreement between the old nature and the life of Christ. Verse 18 tells us here in in chapter 21 that Ishmael is going to become a great nation. But he is and will always be the son of the bondwoman. He'll always be born, the one born after the flesh. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He'll ever be against, he'll ever be contrary to Isaac. Just as our own nature will ever be against the spirit of Christ that lives in us. It will ever be contrary To the mind of God. And it's like that because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it cannot be subject to the law. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Something that we need to understand. We say we understand it. But we really need to believe it. The flesh can't be improved. The flesh can't be reformed. The flesh cannot be rehabilitated. There's only one answer for it. There's only one solution for dealing with the flesh. Notice again verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Cast out this bondwoman and her son, For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Sarah's words here are very, very important. They're words that are so important for the Galatians. They're words that are so important for us that they're repeated by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 30. Ishmael wanted equality with Isaac. He wanted to be the heir. The son that was born after the flesh wanted equality with the son of promise. Sarah's giving us insight into our own nature. Ishmael, our own nature, wants equality with the son of promise, the Lord Jesus. And we know that's true. Isaiah chapter 14, we read how Lucifer, the son of the morning, said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer wanted to be heir with the Son of Promise. That's what Ishmael wanted. That's what I want. That's what you want. Because by nature, we're just exactly like our father, the devil. And there's only one way that Lucifer could be dealt with. He had to be cast out. There's only one way to deal with Ishmael. There's only one way to deal with this old nature that lives within us. Cast it out. Cast it out. It has to go. In the wrestling match of the Christian life, we have to allow the Lord Jesus to prevail. And the Spirit of God tells us how that can be done. He tells us that in a number of places. One's Luke 9, 23. Where the Lord Jesus said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. Self has to be died daily. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was once for all? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was just like a pill that we could take and self's dealt with. Don't have to worry about it again. It's not like that. Self has to be denied daily. Romans 6 and verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 31. I die daily. That's what the Apostle Paul said. The bondwoman and her son, the flesh, the old nature, has to be cast out every day. Every day, self has to be denied. Every day, self has to be reckoned dead, placed in the, in the place of death. Every day we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Every day we have to die. That's how we cast out the bondwoman and her son. That's how we let the Lord prevail in this wrestling match between the flesh, between this old nature and him. But look at verse 11. Verse 11, because it's not going to be easy. Look at verse 10 again. Sarah says, cast out this bondwoman. That's what she says to Abraham. And her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. The words of the verses that we just mentioned. That which the scripture says. That's what Paul says in, in, in Galatians 4 and verse 30. What saith the scripture? What says the word of God? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. That is just as grievous to us to cast out the old nature, to put the old nature to death. That is just as grievous to us as it was to Abraham to cast out his son. Because we want our life. We want our will. We want our way. You see, Abraham wanted Isaac and Ishmael, he wanted both. That's what we want. 
We want Isaac and Ishmael. We want the life of Christ in our own life. We want his way in our way. We want his will in our will. We want Christ and we want the world. But God says to his people the same thing that he says to Abraham in verse 12. In all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. In all that I say unto thee, the Lord says, hearken unto my voice. Listen to the voice of liberty. Listen to the voice of the Spirit of God. Deny yourself. Reckon yourself dead. Die daily. Allow me to prevail. That the life of our Isaac, the life of the Lord Jesus, might be made manifest in our body. We talk about this subject a good bit in this church. We need to talk about it more. Because it's the battle of the Christian life. It's the battle that's taking place in my mind right now. It's the battle that's taking place in your mind right now. How do you know? Because the devil's trying to distract you. The flesh is trying to distract you. We want to be turned away from the preaching of the word of God. There's a war that takes place in this church every time we meet. I'm in an interesting position up here because I can watch some of it taking place. The battle. Uh, there was a, an old preacher who came to a tent meeting. I've told you this story before probably. But that's one of the things about getting old. You, you do that kind of thing and people just say, oh, that's old Joe. <laughs> that's old Charles. But there, this, we were in a revival meeting, tent meeting. There was a friend of mine and his girlfriend was sitting there beside of him. And so he kept edging over toward her and she kept edging over toward him and they would kind of talk a little bit to each other. And the preacher finally got to a point in his message where he said, listen to me. And he pointed right at him. And he said, you quit worrying about that little girl that's sitting next to you. And you quit worrying about that young man that's sitting next to you. You better pay attention to what God is saying to you. Battles. This is the battle that takes place. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Oh, that's just young people. No. It's a manifestation of the battle for the souls of men. That's how serious these services are. Are we doing what all that the Spirit tells us? Are we listening? Hearkening unto his voice? There's one other point that we ought to think about from this allegory. There's a contrast between chapter 16 and chapter 21. And the contrast is this. In Genesis chapter 16, Sarah tries to get rid of the bondwoman. She realizes that she's made a big mistake in 
the plan that she came up with for Abraham to go into her, to, to marry her maid and to have a child by her. She realizes that she's made a mess. And so she tries to get rid of the bondwoman by her own hand. Abram says to Sarah in, in, in chapter 16 and verse 6, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And so Sarah gets serious. She deals hardly with Hagar and drives her off. Don't know how long she stayed. But the bondwoman comes back. That's Genesis 16. But then we come to, to Genesis chapter 21. And we see the bondwoman dealt with. In chapter 21, the bondwoman is sent away. And she's never mentioned again in the life of Abraham and Sarah. What's the difference between chapter 16 and chapter 21? Isaac. The difference between chapter 16 and chapter 21 is the promised son. His birth settles the issue of the bondwoman and her son. Now, now, there's power, there's strength to cast out the bondwoman. Wasn't there in chapter 16? Maybe you're here tonight and you're just like Sarah back there in chapter 16. You have your own plan for your life. You've executed the plan, but it hasn't worked. And you've ended up in a mess. And so what you've done is try to get rid of the bondwoman by your own hand and in your own strength. You've dealt hardly with the bondwoman. You've gotten serious about these issues in your life. You've turned over a new leaf. That's what we call it. You're not going to do this anymore. You're not going to do that anymore. You're not going to go to this place. You're not going to go to that place. You're going to come to church. You're going to be a better person. You know what? doesn't work, does it? Because when you turn over a dead leaf, the other side is dead. The bond woman comes back. The only answer is the birth of the promised son. The answer for you is the life of the Lord Jesus to be born in your heart. He's the only one who can give you the strength to... Cast out the bondwoman and her son. I, I've got a relative that I pray for every day. And some days I find myself asking the Lord to get them out of what they're doing. That's not the way to pray. They're, they, they don't want to get out of what they're doing. They don't have the strength to get out of what they're doing. What they need is to get saved. That's what they need. He's, the Lord's the only one who can give you the strength. He's the only one who can deal with the sin and rebellion in your life. He dealt with it on the cross of Calvary. When he took your sin and rebellion upon himself and he shed his blood that you might have life, his life, he'll give you that life right now. If you'll humble yourself, if you'll turn to him from your sin and trust him as your Savior. One other point. If we're saved, we can live in Genesis chapter 16. 
We can try to prevail in our wrestlings with the flesh. Remember what Rachel said? We can boast like that. With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my flesh and I have prevailed. But we haven't. The flesh comes back. The flesh has prevailed. The answer that we talk about so often is Colossians 2 and verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. If we're saved, we need to live in Genesis chapter 21. We need to allow the Lord to prevail in our lives, in the wrestling of the Christian life. Allow him in his strength that is made perfect perfect in the weakness. And how weak do we have to get? We have to die. That's how weak we have to get. Allow his strength to be made perfect in our cast out the bondwoman and her son that we might stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious book that you've given to us. We thank you that you have given us this message You've given us this message of how to deal with the old nature. And we pray that we would hearken to your voice, to all that you say concerning it. And not let it be grievous to us. Not let us be deceived into thinking that there's some little place here, some little place there in this old nature that can be spared. We pray that we would hew it to pieces every day every moment of every day, that we might be a blessing to you. Father, we pray if there's anyone here tonight who's lost, we pray that you would help them to see that there, there is no rehabilitation program. There is no turning over a new leaf. There's only surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only belief in the message of the gospel. We pray that you would just speak to our hearts tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name.